Hello, I'm Kim Katola, host of Cradle My Heart Radio. Our mission is preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. And our vision is to bring abortion recovery to the church, reaching out to equip and encourage pastors, elders, ministry leaders, and others so they can minister God's love to the millions of Christians personally impacted by this moral crisis of our time. Saving lives and healing hearts, this is Cradle My Heart Radio. Find us online at cradlemyheart.org. Where can you find God's voice in the noise on reproductive choice? For over a million women and men each year, the question goes beyond politics to become much more pressing and personal, both before and after the choice. And we are called to love the little children just as God does. Listen to Cradle My Heart Radio with your host, Kim Katola, speaker, writer, and broadcaster, sharing God's truth to prevent abortion and help those it hurts. Learn more at cradlemyheart.org. Thank you so much for being here today because you are in store for a very special guest. We are welcoming to the program Catherine Davis, who is the founder and president of the Restoration Project. And as such, she often partners with the National Black Pro-Life Coalition, or uh, also the Network of Politically Active Christians, and the Frederick Douglass Foundation in an ongoing effort to educate Americans about the issues that are impacting the black community. And as a public speaker and civil rights champion, uh, and also magna cum laude graduate of Tufts University, who attended University of Bridge, uh, Bridgeport School of Law, she is well-equipped and well-trained to address current events to address uh, what's happening in the church around uh, the issues of our times. And in particular, her focus is on the uh, issue of abortion and abortion in the black community. Catherine, it's a real pleasure to welcome you to Cradle My Heart Radio. I'm so happy to be here with you today, Kim. And people still don't understand the impact of abortion in the black community. People still don't understand the genesis and the roots of abortion as a racist initiative of Margaret Sanger and others who were seeking to eradicate poverty by eradicating black lives, Uh, or maybe vice versa. I don't know uh, what her evil intent was. But tell us, uh, if you can, you know, the the primer, the, the, the... Blacks and Abortion 101 that you think everybody needs to know and people still are not maybe aware of? Well, there was a an initiative launched by Planned Parenthood, the largest abortion provider in the nation, um, to control the black birth rate. It was called the Negro Project. And they specifically went to pastors, believe it or not, to ask them, to persuade black women to uh, take birth control in the early days, and then uh, when they became an abortion provider, um, abortion. And to this day, they trot out the narrative that it's black women that, quote-unquote, need abortions, Um, and that black women's health care is going to be harmed if they can't get abortions. And so my organization, uh, the Restoration Project, has been educating uh, about that initiative and warning black women um, 
about the physical outcomes that are frequently attached to uh, abortion. So um, that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> and, and, let, and let's zero in on Planned Parenthood's effort to engage clergy, especially black clergy, to sell abortion to their members. I don't think that's an overstatement. I mean, you you mentioned this as it's like all if it's a starting point of selling abortion to the masses in America. First, as you said, via birth control because that was the the line that needed to be crossed at that time, which is what we're talking about in the 1920s, Catherine, or was it more recent? The initiative was launched in 1939. 39, okay, so it was more uh-huh. recent. And it continues till today. I mean, it, it astounds me at times that people don't recognize that Planned Parenthood, in their own words, acknowledge being a systemically racist, white supremacist organization. Um, and yet you don't hear those in the mainstream media talking about that. Um, They never talk about that, but that's, in fact, um, um, what happened in 2020 when they said it very openly, that that's, you know, that they are, that that's their identity, um, and that it was rooted in Margaret Sanger. So we we have a real issue. with educating and a real issue when it comes to pastors. You have a a senator from Georgia today, uh, Raphael Warnock, who very proudly declares himself a quote-unquote pro-choice pastor. That's the most oxymoronic thing I've ever heard, but that's what he says. And, and, People don't blink at those kind of comments, but Raphael Warnock is today's Negro Project. He got thousands of dollars from Planned Parenthood to declare himself um, a pro-choice pastor, Um, and he absolutely promotes, quote-unquote, choice all the way up to the moment of birth. And these are the kinds of things that people don't understand um, uh, when they hear these talking points that's promoted by men like him, um, who are pastors uh, and just have no regard for the sanctity of life. Mm. And, and I really appreciate you bringing up that, because someone puts reverend in front of their name, and, you know, he's he's a national figure now. He's not just, his impact isn't limited to Georgia whatsoever. He's a national figure, so you see the, the the word reverend in front of his name, and the average person thinks he is informed by biblical values and the Holy Spirit and a desire to lead people into truth. That's what I think when I see reverend in front of someone's name, right? But Well, that's what they want us to right, believe. That's, yes, that's of course. Right, that's what I'm saying. The deception starts there, because as you yeah. noted, he is funded, and I think... I think the figure I saw was that Planned Parenthood was was uh, channeling forty five million into the midterms. 
I mean, it's a money laundering operation for the Democrat Party. Others have said it. Mm -hmm. You can fact check me on Google if you want to. But that's what it is, because what happens is they give to the Planned Parenthood PAC, which is separate from the 501C health care, supposedly, but not. So they give to the PAC. Then the PAC turns around and uh, dictates to the candidates they've given the money to what the talking points are, as you've just noted. And I think that if everybody understood this, we would have just, first of all, so much more clarity about what's being said. But also we would understand that we're being played. We are being played. And in particular, the people that are being targeted by his message are really being played. And I'd like you to react to that statement and just, you know, is that is that taking it too far or am I, uh, is that what's oh, happening? I don't think it's taking it far enough mm. because you are absolutely right. We're being played. If you go back and connect the dots, which I have done, to um, the beginning of abortion in America and even the beginning of birth control, you know, it used to be illegal for a doctor to even prescribe birth control to a woman. Um, um, It was considered immoral. (laughs) Um, And Planned Parenthood deliberately set out to uh, eliminate those laws from the books across the nation. They were called Comstock laws. And they succeeded. And when they succeeded, they they then very pointedly pointed their so-called services. That's not health care at all. That is, in fact, creating a health care crisis um, in our communities towards one group in particular. They called us by name the Negro Project. But at the same time that they were targeting the black community for their birth control and abortion services, You had other forces in our country that were coming into play to impact those kinds of decisions. You had the National Organization of Women, who very blatantly said they wanted to destroy the American family by destroying the American patriarch, by destroying monogamy through prostitution, promiscuity, eroticism, and homosexuality. You had a president in Richard Nixon who was all about um, population growth. He wanted, along with his commission, zero population growth. And so it was no surprise that they began to uh, promote birth control through the Office of Population Affairs um, and specifically targeting women of color. Um, you had all of these forces that collided together to create this environment that it is okay to terminate the life of a child in the womb while at the same time destroying the American family. Um, and women did that. My generation, baby boomers, did that. Yes. We opened the door to these forces that have no regard for life. And as a result of that, we are seeing uh, death, if you will, playing out right before our eyes. Today, in the black community, we have an epidemic of breast cancer. 
there is a direct link between breast cancer and abortion that they still, to this day, will not talk about. We have an extreme premature birth rate in the black community, meaning our women's wombs are no longer strong enough to hold our children for nine months. So these children are being born before they can sustain life, usually before uh, 20, 22 weeks. And so these children are dying. We have a huge uh, psychological thing that's happening in our community today. I never heard of bipolar uh, 30 years ago. Um, but we have bipolar uh, diagnoses that are particularly impacting the black community. Um, and so we have a suicide rate that no one also is talking about that's directly attributable to the so-called health care of abortion. Mm. Um, that's what their health care is. It is women dying from cancer, women not able to have children, uh, women committing suicide, um, etc. And we, it's time to connect the dots. And it's time to be deliberate to coming back and restoring the American family mm. and rejecting these doctrines and ideologies that have so destroyed our communities. I want to talk more about the role of the clergy, and I know that you've partnered with organizations like the Radiance Foundation and now the Human Coalition, to, um, and I'm sure some of these outreaches include outreach to clergy, and I, I want to give you a chance to talk about that. But before we do that, Catherine, I, I want to ask you about you know, this idea that um, abortion was supposed to cure pro- poverty, and and so the pastors were going to, you know, promote it to their flock so that they could have a, the American dream. They could have a better life with fewer children and more prosperity, right, in a nutshell. And so uh, we know that hasn't happened. I mean, I think poverty rates have been pretty steady in the black community since forever. And and uh, But I think it's also important to note, and I think I had a conversation with someone recently, Catherine, he was... We were in uh, Portland, and he had lived in Boston before that, and uh, I don't know that he had been a Yankee all his life, but I mean, I grew up in Dallas, and we were talking about, you know, different things about race and whatnot. It was kind of back in the George Floyd aftermath, the immediate aftermath, and his comments made it seem as if every single person, I I said something about, oh, you know, with the black middle class, he said, there's no black middle class, and I said, you need to get out more, (laughs) you know, because... (laughs) <laughs> the poverty rates among blacks, it's about 25%, and it's higher than whites, as far as I know. Now, this I checked it after that conversation, which was a couple of years ago now. But help us understand this stereotype that there's this monolithic black community, and they're all poor, and they all need somebody to come and save them from themselves with abortion and other interventions that are actually, of course, not addressing poverty, but instead killing people. Um, talk talk about the the economic basis for this. There is none, and and that's the thing that makes me angry at times, because um, um, the the black community is not a poor 
community. All of us are not broke and disgusted. Oh, my goodness. All of us are not living in these communities oh my where goodness. we're barely making it. Preach. If you look across the black community, we have a huge middle, upper middle, and now many blacks are joining the what they call the 1% right? Yes. You've got athletes everywhere you look with multi-million dollar contracts. (laughs) You've got a whole industry of rappers, and I absolutely abhor rap, but they are wealthy young people. Entrepreneurs with shoe lines, right? Millions of dollars. (laughs) You have entertainers you know, we could run down the list of actors and actresses and authors and inventors. We have children who are inventing things that people need today. I can remember reading about this 12-year-old kid who invented a system that would warn a parent if they left their baby in the car. Hmm. Hmm. A 12-year-old. But we don't celebrate that because we buy this. If there is such a thing as a big lie, it is this, that black people are uh, poor and all of us are in poverty. That's just not true. It Disadvantaged. never has been true. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, and we at one time were a very thriving community. We had everything. Um, uh that you can, every genre of life that required you to have knowledge, skill, ability. We had that. Why? Because we grew up in a segregated society. So we couldn't go to the doctors, the lawyers, the insurance companies, the et cetera, et cetera, the restaurants, the hotels. So guess what we did? We had our own. And we forget that in this narrative of that somehow killing our children is going to um, increase our abilities economically. That's just not true. There is a congresswoman today who is making six figures like all the other congresspeople, right? And she stands up very proudly and talks about how she didn't have one thin dime to call an ambulance back when she was having, uh, when she was pregnant with her child, but Planned Parenthood. So she's saying Planned Parenthood would have enabled me to kill my child, but be- because she was poor, she didn't have one thin dime, and yet you are standing in the most powerful house in the world today making six figures so whatever your economic status was it wasn't permanent right and that's the thing we need to talk about so yes you may have cyclical employment there may be some days that are better than other days but none of it is permanent it is a temporary state of affairs and every person that is in poverty today which is about 18 percent from what I'm looking at when they added it up back in 2019. 19% of blacks, they have the same opportunity to come out of that poverty state by through their achievements, whether it's uh, sports or entertainment or education. We all have that equal ability. 
And those are the things we should be talking about and encouraging our young people towards rather than this mindset uh, that has been unleashed across the nation through organizations like Black Lives Matter, who also wanted to destroy the nuclear family. Mm. Um, Yes. We got to get understanding, and that's what my organization is about today. Let's get understanding of what's impacting our communities. And let's look at our children uh, for who God said they are, not who man said they are. God said our children are blessings, not curses. And so we should be able to um, change the narrative so that all of our children uh, have those opportunities that the same opportunities that we had back in the day, Mm. (laughs) you know? Yes. Um, That is is where my heart is and what I am um, pushing towards. And so I do work with churches. In fact, some of the work that I had done uh, was with the Church of God in Christ, which is the largest black denomination in the country. And in 2019, that denomination did something that no other black denomination has done just yet. We're praying for them to come. And that is they did a resolution that was unanimously passed that they are a pro-life denomination. And it's directly because of the educational efforts that myself and people like Dean Nelson would be uh, Frederick Douglass, Douglass Foundation did directly with the Church of God in Christ. And so today, they will promote life in every way. They're forming pregnancy centers, which, by the way, are under attack from those who don't want women to choose life. Uh, they are helping with the medical expenses that poorer women may have. Um, etc., a whole denomination with millions of blacks across the world. That is the direction that I am praying. The other denominations, the black, the Baptists, the AME, the AME Zions, the black Nazarenes, etc., that they will see the light and, and do the work that God has set before them and reject the lies. Uh, that the abortion industry has been so successfully promoting mm. among and and that's inspiring and I appreciate you mentioning that because uh, I remember that was being worked on the last time that you and I talked, which is some years ago now. Catherine Davis, our guest, uh, she's also the author of the Fight for Life: Taking It to the Street and the Fight for Life: tw- uh, Turning the Wounded into Warriors. And with only about oh three four minutes remaining, Catherine, what is that action plan? For the wounded pastor, let's say, the wounded church leader, the wounded woman who wants to lead a Bible study at her church, but she's wounded and she doesn't she doesn't even know how to address this abortion in her past. Because let's face it, it has happened to church leaders uh, just as everyone else, because they recruit from the human race, too. Right. So what what is the action plan for turning the wounded into warriors as we close? Well, we've got to bring the message of healing. We've got to 
let them know that God is not condemning them. That was not the unpardonable sin, and that they can be healed. So we must make healing um, available across the board. There's been some recent studies, unfortunately, that most women and men would not turn to the church to get that healing. Um, and that is probably because so many of them have had abortions themselves or participated in an abortion at some point in their lives. And so we must get to them to help them understand that they can be forgiven uh, for the, the poor decision-making they did at one point in their lives, um, because God's not holding it against any of them and he will freely forgive them, and it's as simple as them asking. Um, and then we have to help them understand that they can forgive themselves, uh, because that's one of the things we tend to hold on to, that burden of guilt um, and shame, because we participated in the decision that turned out it wasn't all that was promised. It didn't uh, change the trajectory of my life uh, for the good, and in fact, put me in greater bondage. And, you know, I kind of did that to myself mentality, so we find it hard to forgive ourselves. Um, but there are programs all across the nation that will, would help them. And for those that wouldn't go to a church-based group, there is an organization called support after abortion um, that is not affiliated with any church denomination. They're nonpartisan. There's great anonymity with them, so no one has to know except you and God. <laughs> well, and, um, and that's a great note to end on, Catherine. I'm sorry we're out yes. of time, but uh, okay. I'm, a, I'm a big fan and proponent of SAA, Support After Abortion, and we've got all the links and everything you need to know about that, and we'll put it in the program notes as well, as well as all of your initiatives you're engaged in. Catherine, God bless you, and thank you so much for helping us see the light on this today, and Godspeed as you continue in the work. Bless you, Kim. Thank you for having me. Visit us at cradlemyheart.org to learn more about Katherine Davis and all of the resources available to you and your church for preventing and repenting abortion. This is Cradle My Heart Radio with Kim Katola, preventing abortion and helping those it hurts. Please get in touch with Kim. Find out more at cradlemyheart.org. You can listen to the podcast on all platforms.